1: this week on Viewpoints. Amazon seems totally invincible. I think, you know, last year Facebook seemed totally invincible. And then it went all meta on us and seems highly invincible at this point.
2: Exploring the decline of another seemingly invincible company, General Electric.
3: Then. The waitress will bring this big slab of cream pie to the table and just like you look to the table next to you and you look over and say, I want a piece of that, you know.
0: You're going to need to grab a piece of pie after this story. I'm Marty Peterson.
2: And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints.
4: I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, these factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your healthcare provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at treatcovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer.
5: Join Macy's and Big Brothers Big Sisters of America to empower kids across the country to reach their full potential. Throughout the holiday season, donate online or round up your Macy's store purchase up to 99 cents and donate the extra change. You'll help make meaningful matches between adult volunteers and children, creating positive relationships that have a lasting impact. Give back today and find out how we're empowering brighter futures at macys.com purpose.
2: Twitter has been in the news lately after its tumultuous takeover by billionaire Elon Musk. In just a short time, thousands of its employees have quit or been laid off. Its policies, culture, and reputation have fallen into limbo. And many, both on the platform and off, are wondering, where does it go from here? Will Twitter actually be a bigger, better, and more profitable platform than it was before? Elon Musk is banking on that answer being a yes. Experts have pointed out that the entrepreneur is leaning into the same leadership style he employed when building out SpaceX and Tesla.
1: However, this time, it's a much different playing field. With unemployment so low now, they can afford to... Tell Elon Musk, you know, yeah, I'll take your three months of severance and walk out the door. You know, good luck to you. I don't need to live in this kind of stultifying work environment. That's
2: William D. Cohen, a financial journalist and the author of Power Failure, The Rise and Fall of an American Icon. There's no arguing that Twitter is at a defining moment right now. Today, it's a well-recognized name in the social media landscape. But, like many before it, this power and prominence can disappear in a flash. Cohen says no company is guaranteed eternal survival. A series of bad decisions by leadership can break a company. Take Sears, for instance, which started in 1893. At one point, it was the Amazon and Walmart of its day. In 1969, two-thirds of Americans shopped at Sears, and its sales accounted for 1% of the total U.S. economy. Today, the brand is non-existent, down from 3,500 locations at its peak to just about 20 stores remaining. Looking back, it failed to keep up with e-commerce, modern brands, and made a series of bad decisions. Even Jeff Bezos, the CEO and founder of Amazon, understands
1: this cycle of business. Jeff Bezos famously told the Amazon workforce that it's just a matter of time before Amazon disappears. And it's our job to keep that as far out in the future as possible. You know, that's what this book is all about. It's about how a once great company, despite seeming totally invincible, no company seemed more invincible than GE. I mean, a triple A credit rating, not even Apple has a triple A credit rating. It may be worth two and a half Trillion dollars, it seems totally invincible. Amazon seems totally invincible. I think, you know, last year Facebook seemed totally invincible, and then it went all meta on us and seems highly invincible at this point. In the
2: case of General Electric, it was a dominant force in American innovation for almost 100 years. It formed in 1892, the product of a merger between two large companies in the sector, Thomas Edison's Edison Electric. And Thompson Houston Electric, which was led by businessman Charles
1: Coffin, who taken over his uncle's shoe company in Lynn, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. He bought another company that had gone bankrupt, started by two teachers from a Philadelphia high school that created an electric dynamo company that competed against Edison's. And Charles Coffin was actually a fabulous operator. And he made his company a more successful and more valuable than Edison's company. And basically, the venture capitalists, including J.P. Morgan and Henry Villard, that had taken over Edison's company and Charles Coffin and his venture capitalists up in Boston, decided to merge the two companies together in 1892 against the wishes of Thomas Edison. So everybody thinks that Thomas Edison was the creator of GE, and actually he was against The creation of GE. Now, that's the part of the mythology that nobody ever talks about, but I found fascinating. After the merger, Thomas Edison left the business
2: and Coffin took over as CEO. For the next 20 years, he expanded GE's ventures and grew its market share from 35 million to 184 million. Over the next several decades, under various leaders, GE continued to diversify its portfolio dipping its toes into
1: several different sectors other than electric. GE was the biggest manufacturer of jet engines and the most technologically advanced jet engines still to this day. It had a huge business in major appliances. It had GE Capital, the finance business, GE Medical Equipment Manufacturing. Of course, it owned NBC for a long period of time. You know, it's gotten into a plethora of many, many other businesses that sort of come and go. It made, I mean, people don't realize this, it made huge and powerful locomotive engines for a long period of time. One
2: of the leaders who led the company to its peak was a man named Jack Welch. He was the CEO from 1981 to 2001, and during this time grew GE's worth from $12 billion to around $650 billion. Cohen spent many hours interviewing Welch and characterizes him as a decisive and bold leader, but someone who also listened
1: to different viewpoints. He was completely infatuated with what became GE Capital. He loved you know, GE was then had a AAA credit rating and he loved arbitraging GE's AAA credit rating to borrow very cheaply, basically at the same rate that the US government could borrow, and then to lend that money out, to other people who wanted it at much higher rates of interest, including getting warrants in their companies, you know, equity positions in their companies, and uh, you know, grew GE Capital into a financial services behemoth that was generating fifty percent of GE's earnings by the time Jeff Immelt took over. Or thereabouts, fifty percent, and so. You know, he took something that was worth $12 billion and made it worth $650 billion. That's a fairly amazing accomplishment along the lines of what Tim Cook has done at Apple, taking it over from Steve Jobs when it was worth $300 billion, and now it's worth $2.5 trillion. So the selection of the CEO makes a big difference in the fate of a company. Following Jack
2: Welch was Jeff Immelt, who led GE from 2001 to 2017. While he guided the company through the fallout from 9-11 and the 2008 financial collapse, there are many critics of his leadership style
1: and strategy. I don't think he was as open-minded. You know, once he made a decision, that was kind of it. And his view was either, you know, get on board or get out, you know, sort of like what we've been hearing out of Elon Musk and Twitter recently. And you can see that that can be very polarizing and can often result in people saying, uh, you know, either the hell with this, I'm out of here. Or, you know, in the case of Jeff Immelt, he ended up firing people who disagreed with him. And that, you know, puts people off balance. They don't feel quite as secure. They don't feel quite as willing to share bad news. And, you know, if you're The CEO, you need to hear the bad news. You need to know exactly what's going on. You need to know where the trouble spots are so that you can fix them. And I don't think, you know, Jeff tried to convince me over and over again that he was willing to do that and that he kept the best people around it. But, you know, as the more I dug into it and I get into this in the book, you know, that's just not true. You know, I'm sorry to say it's just not true.
2: During Immelt's reign, GE lost many of its most talented people. In the wake of this shift, Cohen says the business ultimately lost focus and failed to stay ahead of competitors. Earlier this fall, GE announced that it plans to downsize its offices in Boston and is splitting up into three separate ventures—healthcare,
1: aviation, and energy. You know, at its peak, GE was worth $650 billion. Now it's worth about $90 billion, which is not nothing, obviously. Not 650 but not nothing. And then each of these three parts, I mean, I think one of the reasons they're splitting up is because they think that the sum of the parts will be worth more than the way GE was trading together. The whole thing is a rather sad denouement. I think if Jack Welch were still alive, this would probably kill him. But times change. Leadership CEOs have different points of view. And just like elections have consequences, CEOs have consequences. And we're seeing that in real time. We can see in the GE story that even once invincible companies can get themselves into trouble and can incredibly disappear. So I think that's a cautionary tale for investors, for creditors, for employees, for management teams. This is the kind of story that should be taught at Harvard Business School. This should be a case study. You know, they had all the case studies about GE on the way up, but they don't have any case studies about GE on the way down. And this should be what business school students are taught in this country.
2: To learn more about this topic and our guest, William D. Cohen, visit viewpointsradio.org. Also, check out his new book, Power Failure, The Rise and Fall of an American Icon, now available online and in bookstores. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price.
0: Coming up... It's the holiday season, and that means endless slices of pie when Viewpoints returns.
6: You've got advanced prostate cancer, but you're not waiting around. You want straight talk to facts about Orgovix. Orgovix Religolix, 120 milligram prescription tablets is a treatment for adults with advanced prostate cancer. Fact, Orgovix is a different kind of androgen deprivation therapy treatment, a pill, not an injection. Orgovix may cause serious side effects, including a heart condition called QT prolongation. Tell your doctor right away if you feel dizzy, faint, have a racing or pounding heart, or chest pain. Orgovix can cause harm to an unborn baby or miscarriage. Use birth control during treatment and for two weeks after Orgovix treatment. The most common side effects include hot flushes, increased blood sugar and blood fat levels, muscle and joint pain, decreased blood hemoglobin levels, increased liver enzymes, tiredness, constipation, and diarrhea. Other side effects include weight gain, decreased sex drive, and erectile function problems or Govix may cause infertility. Talk to your doctor if infertility is a concern for you. Go with a Govix. Ask your doctor. For more facts, visit GoWithTheFacts.com.
4: I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor, such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, These factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your health care provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at treatcovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Nacho fries are back at Taco Bell. You know, the fries covered in bold Mexican spices you dip in a warm nacho cheese sauce. You could also dunk them to nacho cheese sauce or pour the sauce onto a pile of them and create like a nacho fries nachos. The thing is that you eat them with nacho cheese sauce. That's what makes them nacho fries. Otherwise, you're just eating fries and sipping on nacho cheese sauce and that's the wrong way. Sorry, just really passionate about nacho fries.
6: Nacho fries are back, only at Taco Bell. At <laughs> participating U.S. Taco Bell locations for a limited time only while supplies last. Contact local store for hours and participation, which vary.
0: Sweet pies, hand pies, even fried pies. The world of pie is endless and delicious. From French silk to the more creative pies, including apple, pear, or butterscotch pecan, it's a classic American dessert that withstands the test of time. But if you travel back to medieval England during the dish's early days, it was actually served as a savory pastry. Ever heard of pigeon pie? doesn't sound the most appetizing compared to the flavors of today. I do make an
3: all-cranberry pie, but more typically, I'll just include a handful, maybe a cup and a half, of fresh cranberries in an apple or an apple-pear pie. That, you know, Especially this time of year, getting into the festive holiday season, it's kind of nice to have that splash of red inside your filling.
0: That's Ken Hadrick, and he lives for pie. He's built a reputation for perfecting different variations of the delicacy and says everyone at any skill level can create one at home. Hadrick is a longtime food writer and cookbook author of the new release Pie Academy. Looking back, his love for the dish began when he was a child and his parents would spend long afternoons baking in the kitchen. I was one of seven kids, and my mom and dad would
3: put us in the woody station wagon. And we'd go up into the foothills around Plainfields, New Jersey, where I grew up, and they would pick up big bushel baskets full of apples. And then we'd all come home, and the kids would sit around the table and watch Mom and Dad make their apple pie. And Dad was the crust guy. He'd get out his can of Crisco and start whipping up a crust. And Mom was the fruit gal, and she would cut all, all the apples you know, we'd wait around anxiously for the, for the pie to come out. and It smelled so wonderful. So that is sort of, you know, when you grow up with your folks doing something like that, how could you not love pies,
0: you know? <laughs> From apple pie to triple-layer pumpkin chocolate, pie is ubiquitous around the world. Sweet pies are a mainstay here in the States. But other countries, like Great Britain, still specialize in savory pies from pork pie to cottage pie, which is made of a beef mince meat topped with mashed potatoes. In Australia and New Zealand, hand-sized meat and gravy pies are a popular on-the-go snack that's often served at sports arenas and local eateries. In the U.S., you can find pie in the bakery section of nearly every grocery store. But if you're looking for a singular slice, there's nothing quite like sitting at a counter of a local diner and enjoying a piece with a cup of milk or coffee. Hadrick highlights that many diners in the U.S. are particularly good at doling out hefty slices of homemade cream pie. Pick pastry cream filling and then the whipped cream mounted high
3: on top. Or, I mean, they're just or sometimes a meringue, and they're just beautiful. I think there's just something about them being these big, American originals, you know, people just love these pies and you see them, you know, someone will order one, the waiter or waitress will bring this big slab of cream pie to the table and just like you look to the table next to you and you
0: look over and say, I want a piece of that, you know. (laughs) Hadrick himself went a bit unconventional this Thanksgiving, straying away from the typical pecan and pumpkin and instead opting for a creamier buttermilk pie. Never heard of it? The filling is made with pantry staples like butter, sugar, egg yolks, and buttermilk, all beaten together and folded in with whisked egg whites to create a rich southern custard pie. Top it with a dollop of whipped cream, and you're all set. Hadrick says pie fillings are often easier than most people assume, but that for home bakers, the most nail-biting part of the process is usually the crust. People don't often know how much First of all, how
3: long to cut the fat into the flour into the dry ingredients. They're a little bit uncertain about how much liquid to add. That's very common. People will send me photos or they'll send me emails and they have rolled out their crust and it's very dry and crumbly. It's usually because they didn't add enough liquid. So that's a very common problem. Sometimes the dough is too wet. It's just the opposite thing and it sticks to the whatever surface they're rolling it on. So, those are two of the most
0: common problems right there. In order to get the buttery, golden crust that adequately holds the filling in place, stick to following the exact recipe and give yourself ample time in case you make a mistake. Remember that creating crust from scratch takes patience and practice. And if you're crunched for time during the holidays, pre make the dough. I do that all the time. I make the dough,
3: I shape it into a disc. And I wrap that disc in plastic and slip it into a plastic bag, and I put that in the freezer. And that's a big help to have those pie doughs made ahead of time. You can even roll it out ahead of time and put it in your pan and get it all shaped and flute the edge and have that pie shell waiting for you in the freezer.
0: And if you're way over your head this December, Hadrick says you can make and bake a pecan pie in the days before and then stick it in the freezer. Just make sure you pull it out the night before so it has time to defrost. Whatever your pie looks like in the end, cut yourself some slack and give yourself a pat on the back. Every year, the magazines have these killer pies on the cover,
3: but people don't realize that it's taken a team of food stylists and bakers a week to make that pie and make it look fabulous. So those are unrealistic expectations that we should just let go of when we're making a pie and just know that... Ours is going to have some dings. It's going to bubble over the edge. It's going to be a lot of things, but it's probably not going to be
0: perfect, and that's perfectly okay. Whether you stick to the traditional classics or venture outside the box this holiday season, remember that all pie is good pie. To get recipes and find step-by-step instruction, check out Ken Hadrick's new book, Pie Academy, available in stores and online now. You can also view helpful videos and tips at piacademybook.com. To find additional links and archives of past shows, log on to viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson.
2: Viewpoints returns in just a moment.
5: Join Macy's and Big Brothers Big Sisters of America to empower kids across the country to reach their full potential. Throughout the holiday season, donate online or round up your Macy's store purchase up to 99 cents and donate the extra change. You'll help make meaningful matches between adult volunteers and children, creating positive relationships that have a lasting impact. Give back today and find out how we're empowering brighter futures at macys.com purpose.
4: Learn about an option at treatcovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer.
7: This is Viewpoints Explained. I'm Ebony McMorris. The last few years have been rough on the airline industry. For many months, the pandemic caused a severe dip in revenue. On top of that, big pilot deficits and rising fuel prices in the sector only hindered the recovery process. Over the summer, airlines saw more passengers, but with a shortage of pilots, they were unable to meet the demand. This wreaked havoc on millions of Americans who dealt with hours-long airport lines and last-minute flight delays and cancellations. Thankfully, experts are saying that the industry is in a better place now than three or four months ago and can handle this year's influx of holiday travelers. Many airline carriers have been on a hiring spree over the past six months and have adjusted their models to better prepare for surges in demand. In fact, next month is expected to be the busiest holiday travel season since 2019. Here's to hoping the final few weeks of 2022 is filled with less security lines, smoother landings, and fewer headaches. That's few points explained for this week. More in a moment.
8: Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine American culture, what's new and old in entertainment. No time of year has more classics and standards than the holiday season. Beginning in early November, you can't help but to start hearing the familiar Christmas tunes of years past in department stores and on the radio. Now, personally, I'm a strong believer that Christmas music is appropriate starting on Black Friday and extending until New Year's Day. Once Thanksgiving dinner is done, I pull the records out of the drawer, and once New Year's has passed, I put them back away metaphorically speaking, of course. What I literally mean is that I take a Christmas playlist out of a hidden folder in Spotify for a month or so, and then I hide it again. But either way, I enjoy the Christmas classics. Chuck Berry singing Run, Run, Rudolph, Frank Sinatra's Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Snow, and Nat King Cole's Joy to the World. I also enjoy some of the more modern Christmas wrinkles, like NSYNC's Infectious Merry Christmas Happy Holidays, or Kelly Clarkson's Wrapped in Red. But like all families, my family has some holiday traditions of our own. My dad's favorite Christmas tunes come from the Beach Boys, so around this time of year I like to enjoy Little St. Nick, Santa's Beard, and the Man with All the Toys.
5: He stayed out in the court, and, when he left and he about the
8: But one of my most cherished Christmas traditions is listening to my mom's favorite Christmas album. Every year growing up, or at least some years growing up, my sister, my brother, and me would open our presents to Amy Grant's Christmas album. Nothing says Christmas Day to me more than hearing Amy Grant singing Emmanuel. Wonderful. Whatever your favorite Christmas songs are, whatever you consider the appropriate time to blast them in your car, and especially if you only want a hippopotamus for Christmas, there's no debating that now is the time to revel in that warm holiday feeling that comes with hearing the Christmas songs you cherish the most. I'm Evan Rowe.
6: You've got advanced prostate cancer, but you're not waiting around. You want the straight talk the facts about a Govix. Orgovix Religolix, 120 mg prescription tablets, is a treatment for adults with advanced prostate cancer. Fact. Orgovix is a different kind of androgen deprivation therapy treatment. A pill, not an injection. Orgovix may cause serious side effects, including a heart condition called QT prolongation. Tell your doctor right away if you feel dizzy, faint, have a racing or pounding heart or chest pain. Orgovix can cause harm to an unborn baby or miscarriage. Use birth control during treatment and for two weeks after Orgovix treatment. The most common side effects include hot flushes, increased blood sugar and blood fat levels, muscle and joint pain, decreased blood hemoglobin levels, increased liver enzymes, tiredness, constipation, and diarrhea. Other side effects include weight gain, decreased sex drive, and erectile function problems, or Govix may cause infertility. Talk to your doctor if infertility is a concern for you. Go with a Govix. Ask your doctor. For more facts, visit GoWithTheFacts.com.